0: All right, all right, all right, Bretty boy, the great, the powerful, the amazing, the gifted screenwriter, comedian, yeah. all the above. How all you those. doing, my man? <laughs> I'm good, dude. How are you? Good, good man. I'm glad we're doing this. It's, it's it's been long overdue. I've wanted to have you on, and I, I just wanted to kind of pick your brain a bit. Brett and I, for everybody listening, we go way back. Ex roomies, good friends, yeah. longtime brothers, all the above. Yep. Yeah, um. Mark, Mark, uh, Mark has put up with me
1: as a roommate, my I would be in my room, door shut writing, he'd be watching a TV show or whatever in the living room. And I would just all of a sudden, the door would fly open, I would come flying into the living room, interrupt the show, I'd be like, Hey, can you just listen to this? And I'd make him listen to whatever the hell I was doing, writing for like a minute or two. And then he'd give me a bit. Like, oh, thanks, man. And then I'd go right back into the room and shut the door. arguably the the most annoying roommate ever
0: no it was the moments of inspiration man so many times you would bust out and be like okay what do you think of this just give me your two cents on this okay just bear with me okay and this is happening and this is happening and i'd be trying to follow you and i'd be like yeah 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 (laughs) it was the best it was the best
1: whatever gets you back in that room you fucking psycho
0: (laughs) not at all not at all i loved it i loved every minute of it but dude okay so just to start us off i i kind of want to get into your background i kind of want to get into kind of what you you've been up to um but first things first why comedy
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) because mark and i i've known you for so long um no honestly uh i was always kind of a ham growing up and i think it was always just kind of naturally in my bones um but as i got older Mm. i think i used it almost as a coping mechanism or maybe even a tool uh, a social tool uh in order to um have people get to know me more quickly and especially i'm a disabled dude so i don't look like a whole lot of people i got a fused neck and very short neck and spine and all this shit um so, you know, I look a little different, move a little different than everybody else. And and I think, like, almost as, like, you know, sometimes you need an icebreaker because sometimes people feel a little awkward or uncomfortable. And that's society, you know. But, uh, yeah, just being funny, being able to crack a joke or whatever uh, just kind of immediately dropped us into, like, all right, cool. We can just be two people talking. And, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's super interesting how laughter is one of those few things that can diffuse a situation. I think mm-hmm. it's like um, innately, everybody that can participate in something like that, immediately all of a sudden it bonds.
1: Yeah. And you know what it is too that I've really realized? Because I just, I've been, I came up doing improv and sketch for years and I just started getting into stand up for that exact reason where I feel like so much of, you know, getting a laugh or the a, the comedic moment is when you're breaking the tension and mm. when you're doing stand-up i think it's i mean number one it's incredibly difficult and i'm you know it's kicking my ass and i'm loving it yeah but you also,
0: just got into that right
1: yeah, yeah yeah and you know i'm sure some people are like why the hell is brett doing stand-up he's an improv sketch guy like i have and i you know had a blast doing improv and sketch and got to do a lot of great things, cool things here in LA doing improv and sketch. And I'm still doing it. You know, I'm going to be directing here at UCB and, and I'm excited to do that. But as a performer, stand up is, I think, incredibly difficult, incredibly vulnerable. But also, you have the opportunity in stand up where you don't necessarily have this in improv and sketch because you're tied to a scene. Mm you can break the tension to where like, if you can address it when like somebody doesn't laugh, when an audience does laugh at something or you feel the audience feel anything, you can call it out, you know? And if you have, if you're comfortable and if just being able to just say how the audience feels, that breaks the tension. And that almost always will get a laugh. Even if the joke you just told didn't get a laugh
0: yeah that's it's cool how that works you can break the fourth wall and have them kind of come into your world at the same time you're in theirs yeah, yeah i totally i totally agree with where you're coming from man yeah so okay we already uh kind of got into stand-up which is great but oh yeah sorry came did from... i jump the gun
1: there sorry no
0: not at all man uh, we, there's no roadmap map here dude this is no red <laughs> tape what are we talking about motherfuckers? this is a treasure map man we're all over <laughs> the place yeah. so so exactly so you got into kind of comedy from music you have this Crazy music back, background. So like, give give kind of the listeners a little bit of a rundown of kind of where you came from, where you started out. You're a Nebraska boy. So yeah. kind of give us a heads up about that and how you, you know, wound your way into music, found yourself to LA, get, went to Nebraska again, came back. I know the story, but everybody <laughs> listening does not, my man.
1: Uh, so I'm from small town Nebraska, uh, Minden, Nebraska, a town of 3,000 people surrounded by cornfields. Uh, worked on a corn and soybean farm growing up in high school Um, absolutely loved growing up there Um, just love the people and they're a large part of you know who I am Uh, and uh, yeah so you know growing up there and I was gonna go uh, study in Chicago but then audition got into this performing group Uh, sorry if you can hear that and
0: it's no, a police car, everyone. I live in L.A. Uh,
1: it's a big city. <laughs> everything yeah, it's is okay. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, basically, I uh, got into this performing group. Went out. It's based out right outside of L.A. Toured around the world with them for a few years, uh, doing kind of these Broadway review shows. And then I, we'd work with kids, too. Um, and then right after that, uh, with three of my best buddies who I met in the performing group, we started an alternative pop rock band. And we, uh, kind of Cinderella story. Yeah. Yeah. Rally for one is our name. We, um, I, I had started going to Groundlings, uh, this improv sketch school that I came up at, I'd started going there, but then at the same time, me and my buddy started playing music, had a demo. We Cinderella story, two of us worked at a macaroni grill outside of long beach and my one buddy. And so he's serving this producers, uh, mom. And and the producers at the at the table too, but it's a producer's mom's birthday, and my buddy, you know, he's one of my best buds. He's a great, just a conversationalist. I mean, just charming as could be. And so he comes over to me and he's like, "Dude, we gotta sing Italian. We gotta sing Happy Birthday in Italian to this guy, to this guy's mom. He's a music producer. And he's like, we gotta impress him." I was like, "For real?" He's like, "Yeah." So we sang Happy Birthday in Italian and like harmonized, and the music producer producer was like, "All right, well now you got me." interested. And he's like, do you have a demo? And so Blake had one in his car, ran out, gave him one. And then the guy called us the next day. Um, and we started working with them. And then that's when we kind of started touring as well. And so I kind of, I quit Groundlings and just toured with that band for the next three and a half years. Uh, and yeah, so no comedy, you know, I, I didn't. And uh, so it wasn't until after I got out of the band, I moved back home and I was 26, living in my parents' basement, working two serving jobs, uh it was, you know, it was I think that's the hardest thing about pursuing anything creative
0: mm-hmm. is
1: you gotta be so fucking humble. You know, yeah. I, Ego I think not be part of it. Yeah. I mean, if you would have told me that I was gonna be 26 living in my parents' basement in Nebraska and serving and having have two serving jobs, I would have been like, fuck you. <laughs> you know, yeah. but that's like where it happened because the way it went because I did this performing group jumped right into uh, this band, you know, and like amazing experiences, but then it was like, all right, I don't know what I'm doing right now. You know, I want, I need to make a decision. LA is no place to be living while you're not don't know exactly what you're pursuing. So yeah. I came back to Nebraska and, you know, saved up some money and really figured out what direction I wanted to go. And then, you know, sure enough, came back out to LA uh, and started back in Groundlings. And then that's that was like uh, a little over 10 years ago.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. Wow. So Yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, I don't know who listens to this, but like anybody that's like getting into creative stuff, like it is, you got to really just put in the time. And I was very lucky to, you know, come all the way up through the Groundlings program, get to perform on, you know, their, a, a, a top, uh, you know, sketch show of theirs mm-hmm. and then another improv sketch school, UCB got to perform with amazing people on a house sketch team there and got to do, you know, some of the dopest stuff that you can get to do and in, in the improv sketch world. But even still, even then, you know, it took me a solid nine years to be making a living in entertainment, you know, and all the while I'm doing these little steps, you know, making these little steps along the way. But, you know when it comes to actually especially in comedy it just it's a matter of doing the work so you have the the you know the chops oh, when yeah, it comes time yeah. yeah and then also like getting your stuff out there whether it's sketches or whether it's um, you know just doing a bunch of live shows and whatever and a mix of both you know and then a little bit of luck you know For me yeah. it was somebody that went and saw me at a groundling show and then followed me on instagram some And then she saw some, of liked my videos, sent one to one of her friends and was like, ha ha. And that person ended up being the person that hired me for my first job, you know?
0: Exactly. Gave you a shot right there.
1: Yeah. But I needed to have those videos, you know, and I needed to be on Sunday Company at Groundlings to get the exposure. And those two things wouldn't have happened if I hadn't put in the years of work before that, you know?
0: Exactly. There's a reason for grinding. I think uh, that's a... What keeps coming up on this podcast is kind of you got to pay your dues. It's the the time being out in the creative community in that environment, and then um, also it's just really the ten year time frame. It's I don't know what it is about those that ten years. Sometimes lightning strikes a little bit ahead of that, but I think it's that ten year time frame of you being involved in the creative community. It's really okay. Here's something. What would you say? the merit is to to who you know in the industry. Is that big at all?
1: I think it's, I like to kind of specify that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's the relationships that you make and that you continue to, um, you know, to 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 take care of and to, to nurture. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, you want to be, creating with people that you enjoy being around. I think that's, I think every creator would say that, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're like a painter that does, you're like, shut yourself in your room. or maybe you're a writer shuts like yourself recluse, in your room.
0: Yes, exactly. Fucking
1: <laughs> talk to him, <laughs> you know, but I think a large majority of creators just want to, they, they just want to create stuff, make a living creating stuff with people that they love to be around and people they believe in cre- and other artists they believe in. And yeah. So think, yeah, no, so go ahead. <laughs> and so I think to do, you know, hey, guy, we're, chivalry's not dead. Okay. This Mark and I were two nice Midwest guys. All right. Uh, no, exactly. What? <laughs> uh, I think it's so for me, that's what motivates me. Like, I enjoy, I love meeting people. But I think, too, it's when you meet people, and especially when you meet someone that you connect with, hmm. it's really. I think one, it's in a way kind of connecting with them and, and making sure you get across like that, yo, like, I just want you to know, like, I really connected with you and even you don't even have to say that, you know, it's just like following up on Instagram the next day and be like, Hey, great to meet you. Look forward to, you know, keeping in touch, you know, like, dude would love to read if they're a writer, would love to read any of your stuff, you know, if you want to share it, no pressure at all. Like, would love to read your stuff though. You know, it's like share work, share experiences that you've had uh, as an artist uh, in in whatever, you know, and if, if you had any industry uh, experiences, whatever, you know, that's how that's how you can creatively start to um, build chemistry as with friends who are creative and make friends who are creative. And also, hopefully that leads to people the same people you get to create with you know
0: exactly exactly opportunities come and then everybody wants to work with you because yeah. of that authenticity yeah. I think you hit it on the head with that authenticity just in my own experience it, that is not only you know in in the exhibiting of our art form it's like authenticity obviously brings in the audience and it's what compels people to watch you, but also it's, it's what gravitates others, other artists to kind of work with you. I think you can't get anywhere without authenticity. And, and especially in that town, there's so many people that are really false that, um, try to kind of worm their way in, worm their way in, excuse me, like with, um, with your circle or with people, you know, and you can tell that they're only trying to they're selfish in their, in their way. They're trying to get somewhere and they're thinking about themselves before the other person Or trying to push another person up and bolster them. And those, you can really see through that almost desperation pretty quickly. I think that authenticity really, really is where it's at in terms of just bonding with other people and then getting somewhere. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing that when I meet people is, I don't know, especially because out here in LA, I'm sure New York same way. But like, mm-hmm. so much when you're, you know, schmoozing or networking, it's the first thing, or even in general meetings. I feel like, I mean, I had a general. Here's so I had a general yeah. with with a network, right? And
0: and this is for general a show that you were you were creating, right? Just for the listeners, right?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, well, so it was set as like. It, it was said as a general, but it was basically, like, an unsaid kind of pre-pitch to get to pitch to, m- like, more people at the network, right? hmm And I was just meeting with one person. And I knew that that was the point of the meeting. She knew that that was the point of the meeting. But I didn't bring up the show, or we didn't even talk about the show— I want to say the first 15, 20 minutes of the meeting. And it's because I didn't, I didn't, you know, it didn't, I I knew that it would come up in conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that, and it's, it's, and it'll eventually come up, but when you can, for me, I feel like when I can start at a place of, and find some common ground on anything other than industry stuff, that is where, a true connection is going to be made because now it's like, okay, cool. Like this, you're, you're immediately showing without telling them, like, you're not desperate. This isn't your first rodeo. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, you're showing them that you want to get to sincerely get to know them, which I do. Cause I think, you know, I think sincerity, sincerity, like, I don't know. It is so important and integral for when you're meeting people and, having connections like sincere connections through things that you both are interested in, things that you find funny, both find funny, whatever it is, maybe it's the same music you listen to, you know, maybe one of you likes an artist and one of you hates an artist and you guys have a bit over that, whatever it is, it's something that, you know, is from a real sincere place and not just a place of, Hey, I'm meeting with you because I have something I want to sell you.
0: Exactly. I think it goes back to that authenticity and that genuine yeah. nature. I yeah. think people can see right through when you're not being authentic, when you're not being genuine. And it's, um, it comes out of, I think people are not genuine or um, inauthentic when they're insecure and it comes out of this desperation to want to be liked. And you, that is something, I mean, when you're pursuing this, you want with every fiber of your being to get somewhere you want yeah you know, for your art to have a platform to be showcased, for it to be funded. And you want it so badly that that desperation could sometimes eat away at you and then show through. And then that is exactly what you're talking about, where that can come in and repulse a little bit of what, do the exact opposite of what you're trying to do.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it's, sometimes it can be really hard to do that because especially as an actor, you don't really get, if you're not writing stuff for yourself or you're not like uh, in a scene where you're like in an actor that is in a group of people that are like always making short films or, you know, cause I know a few people like that, that they're in a, they're in a, you know, they're in a group of people that they're just always making short films and kind of yeah. having each other in it. And that's dope. Um, but I would say most people in LA, most actors in LA are you're basically just going to class most of the time. And yeah getting an audition, you know, here and there. And, you know, that's when you get to, to do your work, your craft, but it's also like at the end of the day, you're asking to be hired. You're hoping to be hired Um, or you're, you know, paying off notes from your teacher where, where I think like, and that's why I like to create stuff because for me, if I'm like creating, it's, I'm not worried about anything other than like doing this for me and for the way that I see it in my head. And I believe it Mm. in my head. I think
0: that, yeah, I love that you said that because uh, speaking from experience, I think, it is far better to create opportunities, like you, what you're saying, to kind of be in a group where you're you're showcasing yourself, even if it's on a small scale with a, a group of other individuals, and you're constantly putting out content that showcases what you can do. Um, it's more opportunities for you to be seen, but you're just creating, for lack of a better word, more opportunities for yourself versus yeah. the trap that you fall in, which you touched on. Whereas, especially you know, for for actors that aren't pursuing any form of improv or any comedy. You can just and I speak from experience in this. I feel like I fell in this trap for years. Is you just you go to class and you might be performing and, and doing incredible work there, but the problem is, is no one is able to see it. Yeah. Um, and so even though if you're on, you feel like you're on the top of your game, your your skill is is super high. It, it doesn't amount to anything because no one is aware that you have that high skill, unless you know. Here's something that you you touched on as well. That most people, if you if you're just getting into um, acting or entertainment in general, you know, you're kind of relying on the, not merit, but the, um, the, validation. The, teacher, yeah, the validation or the teacher to kind of trying to connect you somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that can be kind of a slippery slope, I think, in my opinion, because you're giving someone a lot of power and you're just hoping you're, you're wanting them to do it. And, you know, I think that then you're, you're basically, you, you have to be, they have to feel compelled to kind of reach uh, to do something for you because either they, you know uh, you'll make them look good in a way with the, their connection they're leaving out. Cause I mean, it's just, I, I I don't know. It rubs me kind of a, the wrong way to kind of give someone else so much power of your career and just the hope and desire instead of taking a lot more control into your of control of your own path. In other words, like you're saying with creating opportunities, I think there's much more control, much more, um it's just a better way to present someone with a portfolio of work being like, Hey, look at all these videos I just did. Look at the short film that just went to this festival. I yeah. just did, you know. It says a lot about you and your character, your work ethic, your discipline, rather than to like I said, just wait on a teacher to kind of hopefully do something. Maybe they don't.
1: You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's it's hard too because that's the other thing is everybody who are not the artists, I feel like are, are guessing, you know, like yeah. they're, and not so much the teachers. I mean, you know, the teacher has a, has a, a technique that they're, they're, they're noting off of and, and their experience noting off of, you know, but I mean, when it comes to studios and, and networks, you know, a lot of the time, like they're just following trends, excuse me. They're just, they're just doing even the highest up creative execs. They're still, they're taking, orders from the money peeps we're saying hey this is what the algorithm's saying like we need this type of show that's this has this type of you know feel and blah 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 blah. you know like they they're literally i think they're all kind of uh chasing each other sometimes you know where it's like one you know right now every every network is looking for their uh uh abbott elementary right Mm. every network is looking for their um what is that show? Uh, it's on Apple Plus. Uh, are
0: you uh, talking are you, about? Yeah, is it start with an S? Are you talking about that one? The um,
1: Any, the soccer one. Anyway, I clearly you know, I don't watch one. it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't. But <laughs> uh, Ted Lasso is what it's. Called. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, like Jason everyone's. Cedric. Yeah, with Jason today because everyone's looking for their Ted Lasso. Mm. You know they. Anyway, but. When you can come in with something specific that's different and show them exactly how it's going to feel and be specific in your tone, be so in depth with the characters where each one of the characters, you could follow them on on an episode or two and and the, and they could carry the show. And to have that strong cast of characters paired with like a specific tone, I think you put yourself in a very good position to show something. To, to, to put something in front of people. Um, because, you know, I think a lot of people, especially Tone, uh, Tone gets looked over, you know. It's like so a lot of these, you look at these, a lot of these little short miniseries, they could be movies, right? Right. But they get, you know, they get drawn out in the series for whatever reason, and uh, they're very plot-driven. But I, I'll be interested to see if we kind of have, a, you know, Kind of, you look at shows like What We Do in the Shadows. You look yeah. at shows like uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You know these shows that like you can watch episode after episode. You know, and just like shows back in the day. I mean, you know, Seinfeld. Like any, not not even a sitcom. It's just like a returnable show where you can watch an episode. You basically generally know what's going on you know, and you don't have to watch any of the other episodes to know what's going on. You can, you can get it from one episode, but if you watch the whole season, you, there is a payoff of, of, you know, cause you refer back to things. And whatnot.
0: Right. Right. There still is a through line throughout the whole season, Easter eggs for you to get everything connection. A great example of this is the office. You can get in one off episodes. And then if you watch the entire series, you get the small, uh, or the overarching, I guess, storyline for all the characters to kind of connect in the yeah. world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you, as a, this is kind of getting into the meat of what I wanted to talk to you about as a kind of a creator, um, especially who wants to create television shows, um, you know, films, uh, how much do you, when you're starting to create something or writing something specifically to you, where does that inspiration come from? And what I mean by that is, do you, when you get an inspiration, do you, are you trying to tailor it to what, you know, is, current in the entertainment industry as far as what they're looking for? Or do you come at it like you have a inspiration of something and, and then later on, do you find yourself not compromising, but kind of tailoring that story or that idea to what you believe will sell? Because at the end of the day, you have to get funded. You have to get seen in the room to pitch.
1: Um, I think I've never found tailoring anything uh creatively to what you've been told will sell very helpful uh because i mean honestly practically by the time you get told like let's say your manager's like hey they're really looking for shows for you know young adult shows that uh are episodic and so you're like and, and unless you have an you know young like so, so let's say all right i'm going to start thinking about young uh, YA episodic shows and you get the idea and then you get the second thing done you know and you're like three four months down the road well now it's there it's not they're not really even looking for that kind of shit you
2: yeah. know
1: and even if you like are like what they're looking for it's it's weird because sometimes if you're too close to what they're looking for a lot of times they'll be like oh wait like we need something like this but we need it nuanced we need it to be a little bit different. like it's they're very finicky but that's why I, mean, I found, you know, and it's not like I have a I very I'm on the you know, just just got my finger about. in the door. I got my <laughs> finger in the door here right. in Hollywood. Um I would say that it's just like creating stuff that you think if comedically, what what do you think is sincerely, like what do you think is funny? What is your specific take on stuff? Mm. You know, like what is your specific take and it can be, you know, like what the daily stuff that you um, deal with. I, there's this comedian; her name is Meredith Casey. You should check her out. She's a stand-up comedian. She's, I seriously, she's gonna be famous. I know she is.
0: Shout out because to her. when you,
1: yeah, Meredith Casey, when you watch her, she she talks about um, she got a divorce in the pandemic, and sure. she talks about it, and she makes divorce hysterical. Like she just talks about her experience, how she feels about it, whatever. And then she also has a kid, you know, and like, like the way she, the things she thinks about as a mom, you know, like when she's like teaching her kids stuff and she's hilarious. And she told me that she just started like in the past, you know, few months after, you know, since the heart of the pandemic, if you will, uh, that she just really started to feel a hundred percent like I got this on stage and a hundred percent. Like, yeah, I, I, I found my, you know, like what I want to talk about in, and how I want to talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, she's been doing stand ups, I think she said for six, seven years and that's what it takes. You know, it takes like that much experience, that much, uh, life experience, uh, on top of stage experience. Yeah. But, uh, creating Me. stuff and like when i'm creating stuff sorry to get back to what you're saying no no um i think television shows because before i we had a sketch channel on youtube and before we were always and i get why like we subscribe to kind of doing evergreen just stuff. any
0: sketch channel come on it's genuine oh. jerks shout out to genuine jerks go check them out on youtube it's great genuine great jerks.
1: yes 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 uh thanks Mark. <laughs> uh and uh humble over
0: here. i can't let him <laughs> off uh
1: we would do these sketches that we we kind of prided ourselves in not doing topical stuff and doing evergreen sketches, mm. which I, I think is you know I like that. Um, and I think with television, you know, you can do that, but at the same time, with television, if we want people to watch every week, there's got to be a connecting under like a, a, an underlying current of like, what does the audience, you know, what, what are they, what have they experienced in their lives that they're going to connect with uh, that on, on the screen that the characters are going through, or, or these things that the characters are, are learning or, or dealing with, you know, like, I think that that is paramount. And that's something like, you know, with all of these things now that I'm, that, you know, we're developing and whatnot, that that's always a question, you know, we're, that is, you know, and, and we don't want it it's not like it's in the forefront. Like we have an idea about a story. You know what I mean? Like I'm developing the story that where this guy discovers um he has a hug that makes people feel really, 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 really happy. And there's all kinds of ways to tell that story, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, I'm honing that down. And as I'm honing that to- that tone down and kind of how I want it to feel on the screen, that's when we're finding like, oh, cool. Like yeah this that totally makes sense and that could you could you could glean this kind of theme from that from that tone you know of what's happening um and i just think that it's super important to be able to connect with the audience in some way through like again tone and theme
0: for sure for sure I uh, um i love that you said that i don't want to give anything away i i know a little bit about that story um about the the guy with the hugs um, but it's it's seemingly so simple. But if you extrapolate that premise out, that's where you kind of pull the o- audience in. And I love that you you touched on that, Brad, because I feel like at the end of the day, the elevator pitch or what you you when you tell someone what what your story is, you know, in that one sentence. Um, so often when you pitch them in the elevator, it's often very simple. But if you extrapolate it out, it can, it can be really interesting. Yep. And I'm hearing my. My dogs bark. Hopefully, that stops in a minute. Sorry, apologize to everybody if you're hearing that in your ears. Um, fun stuff. Uh, man, you said something a minute ago. Totally hit me in the face, and now I cannot think of it. Um, sorry. No, not I at talked, all, dude. I talked too long. No, I loved it. I loved it. Every minute of it. There was some great golden nuggets in that. Um. Okay, so I got here. So why? what gravitated you to performing in the, in the beginning, you know, already, I mean, you, you kind of touched on it at the very beginning of our conversation. You, you know, you, you talked about yourself and it was kind of like a coping mechanism as far as comedy was. So how did that gravitate into performing? And then how did that electrify you?
1: Uh, Well, I definitely performed in high school. And I mean, I I think, we we did this. It was called Odyssey of the Mind, and we did. It was basically these little sketches that we would make up to go along with. We did this thing. We had to build a, excuse me, a structure out of balsa wood and put these weights on it, and you know, and then while you were, you had to integrate, you know, kind of doing that into a sketch or you know, a little skit that was yeah, yeah. happening on the at the same time. So that was like in uh, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade that I was in that a group that we did that. And I think that kind of got me, uh, my acting bones uh, going, if you will. And uh, yeah. somebody saw me doing that and they asked, then my freshman year of high school, I was asked by my great friend now, and she was my English teacher, or my soon-to-be English teacher, Mrs. Oberg, if I wanted to be, you know, try out for the high school play, and so or the one-act plays. And then I auditioned for that, and then, you know, that kind of started things off doing, you know, one act plays and plays and musicals and speech. And that, that was my, definitely my main thing in high school was, was doing those things. And so I always wanted to perform and I love being in front of people. And uh, I think in a weird way, like, instead of, cause I think a lot of times so, like disabled peeps will kind of, you know, not want to be in front of people and not have eyes on them. Uh, Because a lot of times having eyes on you as a disabled person, you can end up into getting made fun of or whatever, you know. And so um, as somebody, as a disabled dude in my small town who didn't look like anybody else, and you know, uh, I just was like, yeah, I'm going to get up on stage and fucking do my thing because I love this. And also, like, I'm not going to, you know, worry about what you think or, you know, whatever. Like, I'm just going to get up here and like show you what I can do. And I think uh, a lot of times uh, subvert expectations of people, not necessarily, you know, in my hometown, people knew me, but when I would go out of town, um, you know, to compete in speech or when I plays, I think, um, I think sometimes people would be surprised, uh, which is cool, you know, and that's, that's what I like is, is to kind of uh, subvert and exceed expectations and uh, hopefully, you know, be memorable enough to, so when they come across somebody else who's disabled, they, you know, be like, all right, yeah, I remember that other guy. Like, I'm going to give this person uh, uh, more cred than I gave that other guy before I talked to him or whatever,
0: you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Dude, honestly, in uh, just my relationship with you, that, that confidence that you kind of instilled in yourself at a young age, it is, it's electric, man. Okay, like you sorry. have, yeah, you have such a, a powerful magnetic uh, gravity to you. You know, you pull everybody in that's around you. Even meeting you for the first time, it's it's crazy, man. Uh, and honestly, if if any of you guys listening out there, you get a chance to meet Brett in the future, you just know he's like the life of the party. I'm just gonna say that he uh, his network is ever growing. Everybody loves him. Um, he completely is infectious with his attitude, his demeanor. It's it's killer, man. I I'm lucky to have this guy as a friend. Um, same yeah, no, no sweat, man. No sweat. Um, gosh, you. So, I, I love that we have this theme of authenticity with with kind of the work and appealing to yourself rather than appealing to anybody else, and that's a huge, huge thing. Uh, it goes back to that insecurity we kind of talked about earlier about being desperate for attention in this industry constantly and the thing that it's ironic that that insecurity or that desperation to be looked at it's you being true to yourself and you being authentic to yourself that gravitates others towards you because it's the difference because it's something they haven't seen before
2: um
0: and contrary i think you, you you kind of spoke on this contrary to kind of the common wisdom of you know try to find what somebody likes and appeal to that it's it's the wisdom that no one really knows what they're looking for until they see it. So just be authentic and true to yourself. And then that's going to gravitate somebody because of the passion and the the genuine nature with which you pr- pursue it, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, again, like when, I think any any creative thing, why do you want to get into it? And if your reason for wanting to get, to to do something creative as a career or even as a hobby is because you want to create cool shit or be a part of creating cool shit, like, then that's, like, that's where you want to be. Not like, oh, I want to be famous or, oh, I want to, like, I know, I you know, I love that lifestyle. I love this. Yeah. That you're never, it's going to be very difficult, unless you're like an extremely good looking person, and you're just like naturally, extremely good at acting or whatever you want to pursue, like, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it's going to be very difficult if you do not have a sincere passion for creating.
0: It's so true. It's so true. Unless you, like you said, unless you're extremely good looking, you have some sort of connection already kind yeah, of coming yeah. in the industry. Nepotism.
2: Yeah. yeah nepot-
0: <laughs> that's, in the, you know, that's, that's kind of, that is a, a big thing on, on some level, but unless you have some connection, um, good looking or just, you know, lightning strikes and you just get quote unquote discovered at like an early time, um, you know, it is a grind. It's that time period of just you know, grinding it out and pursuing that passion for a long, long time. And then it's really when, um, what's the saying when preparation meets.
2: opportunity. Okay.
0: Opportunity meets preparation
1: prep- meets pre- when preparation meets opportunity meets a little bit of luck. I don't know. Yes. Yeah,
0: like hey, <laughs> thank you for trying to help my dumbass out. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Whatever you guys know what we're meaning. Um, but I think that's, that's, a, a great thing to pursue is just understand that whatever you're getting into creatively, just, you know, you got to be prepared to just truly love it and grind yeah. on it and not have any expectation of succeeding right away because it, often that's not the case. And oftentimes it's a long slog and um, it can be completely demoralizing. There's a lot of no's.
1: Yeah. Okay. This is what it is. They say yeah. you need a little bit of luck and luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity.
0: Boom.
1: That was definitely.
0: Nugget For sure. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's Dude. true. I mean,
1: it's corny as hell. You know, you can, say, but yeah. it is. It's, it's true. And you gotta be. You know, you gotta be putting in the work. You know, you just gotta be creating and and being in that creative headspace every day, which is hard. The diff, the most difficult thing to do, I feel like, yeah, is to come out and. Be able to find a place, get a get a survival job where whatever it may be, working at a restaurant, whatever, and and then have the self discipline. Especially in a city like LA, when there's five thousand distractions every day, all the time, to have the self discipline of, okay, this is my time of the week that I do my survival job. This is my time of the week that I work on why I came out here, and it's you have to like really be aware of that because it's so easy when, you know, we're going to survival job. Maybe they're not people, they aren't pursuing acting or whatever. And they're just like, yeah, when I do my job, they do their job. And then they go to concerts, they do all this other stuff, which is dope and you get invited to do it. But guess what? You don't get to go do that stuff a lot of the time because you're doing, you know, you're working towards
0: what you came out here to do. And it's just, you know, expensive city. You got to make yeah. money in order, in order Yeah, to for real.
1: Shit. I literally, dude, it is, this is the first time. I mean, this is the realness. So yeah. I, I, this is, I didn't live by myself until this year. Yeah. I'm 37. And it's because I had to have roommates because I couldn't afford a place on my own. And now I got my own spot and it's dope. But I mean, the sacrifice is real. And it's funny because before my sister would come out to visit me, she lives in New Zealand and She's like, all right, where do you want to go? I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I'll look a place up. And she's like, do you not go out ever? I was like, no. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I can't afford it. I'm like, the only time I go out is like, if I have a beer after an improv or sketch show, you know, but that's it.
0: Yeah, the small time of just schmoozing with other people, just having a drink or something like that, one off. But you're right. It's so expensive and you're doing everything you can to kind of stay focused and disciplined. I love, just going back to what you were saying earlier, I know this this book has talked about, Almost too much in creative communities, but it's so good. It's um, Stephen Spil- uh, Pressfield, that's his name, Stephen Pressfield. He wrote um, *The War of Art*, and it's a book that that talks about, you know, you you basically showing up even if you don't want to, just specifying a time. He says it's summoning the muse, but all it is is like you said, is being disciplined, allotting time for yourself, even if you you don't feel the the passion in an instance. And foregoing other opportunities, foregoing socialization, to just work on your craft and yeah. keep showing up, and keep doing it, and keep yeah. doing yeah. it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's and it. watching
1: too. You know, like I mean, I, I just watched so many improv sets, so many sketch shows, oh. so many.
0: Dude, you I, I, I you, honestly, out of all the improv I've seen, I my patience for bad improv is like zero. <laughs> Four marks. <laughs> So bad, dude. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, for for everybody just listening. So when I lived with Brett, you know, I lived it. We kind of lived in this uh, comedic household. And so everybody else but me was doing improv. And so I got to see a ton of improv. And luckily, you know, all three of my roommates, including Brett, were fantastic at what they did. So it made it a lot easier. But there were some nights.
1: (laughs) Mark was a very good roommate and came to all of our shows. He's an angel.
0: It was, it was great, man. Uh, great experience, but yeah, it's about showing up. It's about putting in the work and all that stuff. Okay. Switching topics real quick, man. You're a writer, comedian, you know, performer, you love what you do, obviously. Um, is there anybody right now in the space that you're seeing or, you know, as far as creators that you're really kind of not necessarily envious of, but inspire you to be better?
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, one guy comes to mind right away is, uh, he's a comedian named Andrew Lopez. Um, he has, he's developing a pilot with Hiro Murai, who's this incredible director who directed, um, all of Donald Glover's music videos and all of Atlanta, or maybe not all of Atlanta, but a majority of Atlanta, uh, which is incredible TV show on FX. If you haven't seen it. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he's developing, um, and also with, uh, 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 chris store i think is his last name store i think his first name is chris anyway chris store is a creator on um of the bear on fx and which he also great show man yeah yeah um so i mean i'm envious of him because he's getting to work with Murai, who's somebody i would kill to work with Mm. on uh for a network fx that i would kill to work with (laughs) and um and he's from iowa no way. And, yeah, yeah. And his pilot is, is entitled Iowa. So I think it takes place back there and uh, they're going to sh- shoot it. And, you know, and so, uh, you know, very, you know, I, that's the dream. That's the dream. And he's developing a couple other projects uh, at Amazon right now, too. But yeah, that's the dream. And, and also, this is small, but uh-huh. he doesn't post on the internet, which I am so jealous of. Because it's so hard as I think any, honestly, probably any person out there right now in society, I think there is a pressure to feel like, oh, I need to post. If I'm not on social media, I'm not relevant. I'm not, people don't know what I'm doing. You know, like I'm so there, you know, I definitely feel I'm not one of those people that was on TikTok and, and, you know, and posting all the time. But excuse me, I'll still post here and there because I feel like, oh, yeah, I need to and whatever, you know. But um, he doesn't, and I just respect the hell out of that. And he has got a great career going right now. And, again, I'm biased towards Midwest people, but he's a great, like, just a quality guy too.
0: Yeah. Dude, sounds great, man. Hopefully yeah. I run Andrew into him all these days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Andrew Lopez. Yeah, just check out him out on,
1: on Instagram. He's a good dude. Uh, but, yeah.
0: I love what you said, though, about yeah, there is such a pressure about feeling – like you you're compelled to post or else you kind of like lose relevance in our society today it's a weird thing and like you i i don't post often but i do feel every now and then because you are inundated with it and social media has become such a big thing about everybody's lives and you see it constantly you do feel compelled or you feel like um Like you should, (laughs) like like you need to do it for, for whatever reason, whether that be good or bad. And it's just an interesting concept um, about feeling like uh, I think it plays on your, our own insecurities about feeling kind of left out. I guess the FOMO thing that's real about if you don't post, yes, you lose relevance. And I, I wonder if there's merit to that as far as in the future, you know, obviously it's much easier to promote things to, to, if you've got already a follower ship or like an audience right and so you know there's a fear that there's a lot of weight placed on that versus you know not but it is nice nowadays when you when you see someone that doesn't have like a, a super hardcore online presence or they're not posting constantly and there's kind of some mystery to that and i think like in the olden days i say the olden days in like right before social media when there was mystery built in it was more gravitating I think to that, and it also um, added to that fame or or mystique of like that celebrity status or whatever because that you, you were just given small clips of this person's persona rather than knowing them intimately. But I also as a I know this is turning into a rant, but I also as a as a performer and an actor, I I worry, and this is probably a stupid thing. there was a, a time period where I thought I don't want to post that much. In general, I, I don't know why we would post that much because I don't want people to know me intimately because I feel like I could, I, it'd be harder to fool them, like in me playing all these different characters. Because if they see me one way, I can't, I can't fool them another way. And whether that yeah. is good or bad, that that's crossed my mind or did cross my mind for a long time.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. it's it's hard to like. It kind of reminds me of a uh, uh, Aquafina. So Aquafina mm. had this show coming or had Nora from Queens coming out on on uh, Comedy yeah. Central.
0: And yeah. what was the film that she did also uh The Farewell. Uh, no, The Yeah, I
1: think it was The Farewell. Yeah, hang on.
0: Nice. <laughs> yeah, anyway, Aquafina. Yeah. Great actress.
1: Um, yes, The Farewell, yes. Um great actress. And I was, you know, I kind of knew about her show coming out because there was a few people in New York that was, that we're working on it that I'd met with and uh they were excited about it but then the farewell came out before and it was completely different like a much more grounded you know yeah view of of her and her acting and it and I mean it was phenomenal and I it became this it was this indie darling that skyrocketed her but then you know I don't know I think I don't and you can acclaim that, you know a maybe other things. And the show went multiple seasons on Comedy Central and Comedy Central's, you know, had some, had its, uh, you know, kind of struggles in the past few years. But it almost felt like, I don't know, there's a part of me that was like, it was, I was, for me watching the show, it was different. You know, I had a different view of her mm. because of the farewell going into Nora from Queens. And I think it's harder to go from serious stuff to funny stuff whereas like i it sucks because i think they kind of held comedy central held it up a little bit where they're like oh let's let the farewell come out first and then you know i think it's because they wanted it to get more eyes the show to get more eyes on it which i guess in retrospect was smart but at the same time i think it's just harder to buy a heightened comedic tone after you see her do this incredible grounded acting
0: yeah yeah for sure yeah okay as you were speaking it just hit me um so going off that like you're you've got your pulse on the industry way way better than i do especially kind of when you're obviously you have way more experience with pitching and stuff like that how do you feel like streaming is impacting everything i mean now that we're kind of in the heyday of it and everybody's adjusted to it i mean how do you think things are evolving and then i definitely want to ask because you hit on this a minute ago but i want to have you seen lord of the rings yet
1: no, I'm sorry.
0: Okay. Never mind then. So continued.
1: Let, you mean like the new show, right? Yeah. The new show. Yeah, like, yeah. It I power, haven't yet. Whatever. I haven't.
0: Yeah. I was going to get your two cents on that, but. I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> How do you uh, think. Yeah. Streaming is impacting everything. I mean, I feel like there's. It's definitely impacted uh, what movies are made and how many movies are made and stuff like that. But I just wanted to understand kind of your two cents on the pulse of the industry right now.
1: Um, I feel like. I feel like capital, I'll call it capitalistic ways are hurting the industry. Mm Uh, meaning, you know, and this is how it all it's been for a while, but I think we're getting to the extreme of this where it's, we're always asking as a society businesses are asking how do we make more money? Yeah. And while that can be great, you know, and capitalism, how do we make more money? Yes, we do this, 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 this open market. Great. But when you get to a point where now it's just, well, the only thing we to do is buy up companies. So these large companies are buying up other large companies and all of these conglomerates are happening. And, you're just seeing, you know, these shows just wiped off of television because of these these mergers coming together and yeah. and these change ups at, at the top brass of networks and studios. And it makes it difficult to have any type of cohesiveness. One, two, it makes it difficult to have any type of uh, you know, there's not a lot of certainty in, in Hollywood and you're making even less of it by all of these different mergers and and also, you know. I think that pr- we are slowly on our way back to what was cable. You know, it's, yeah. there's going to be the four main, you know, we're already almost there. I mean, there's going to be probably like three to four main streamers that exist. And you go there to watch, you know, what different, your different television shows that used to be on, you know, six or eight different streamers or whatever it was. And I, I don't know. I just, I don't think that, creatively it's helpful i don't think that um it the cool thing about the streamers when they came out is that they were they had a specific tone Mm. you know you could have shows that that were more gritty and um you know just talked about things that you know network shows would never talk about and you know had the type of characters that network shows would never be able to have and that was, that was the groundbreaking thing about streaming and, and the, the different avenues of it. And now it just feels like, you know, it felt like it was creatively driven. Yeah. And it just doesn't feel like that anymore. Yeah. It just, it, it feels very heavily manipulated by money. And I know that it's, everything's always ran by money, but it just... Right now, especially in Hollywood, it feels deeply ran by money. And everyone right now is just kind of... It feels like, in television anyway, people are just kind of like sitting back being like, all right, well, where's this going to go? Like, we're kind of waiting for the dust to settle, you know, in early 2023. But then I say that, and then in April, you know, there's a big... I think there's going to be... A big shakeup because basically, streamers have been uh, running on a contract, kind mm-hmm. of, and these stipulations under this new media experimental kind of contracts where they don't have to abide by the same, you know, pay scale and the same, excuse me, regulations as networks like NBC, ABC, CBS do. Mm-hmm. So, Hulu, FX, uh, you know, uh, Showtime, Netflix, Netflix, especially, you know, like, They have the most money out of anybody, and they still are being considered this, you know, streaming service. And so um, that's going to be a big change up, and especially with the WGA, the Writers Guild, um, and things are going to be addressed. And that could also be a very interesting time in the industry because, you know, when there's big changes like that made, uh, there's some massaging to happen on both sides. And it's not always, uh, you know, doesn't always go smoothly.
0: Right, right. I think that's, most people aren't aware of that. Like all the, there's all these contracts that happen between all the different guilds. You got the uh, director's guild, the producer's guild, the writer's guild, acting guild. I mean, there's all these different guilds, these unions, and um, everybody kind of has to collaborate and work together and, and see what gets passed. And there's usually time frames on what's passed. And then I guess April is a huge expiration of, of uh, one of the contracts. And so it's going to definitely change the way budgets work. Yeah. with, um, new content. yeah, um, yeah I, I think, you know, so my last podcast, I had, a, a director Eleni Rivera on, um, and we kind of spoke about this a little bit, but you're touching on it. So I'm going to bring it back up. There's a weird thing that happens when art beats business, right? Yeah. And so we have this huge corporation or, or corporate bloat happening where, uh, corporations are coming in and everybody just, it seems to me is much more risk averse. Um, from taking risks but the the irony is is creativity thrives on risk like there has to be risk taking in order for new stuff to be available in order for us to get those gems that come up you know i mean you you get a lot of these movies that are kind of like indie indie kind of um i don't even want to say grassroots but indie films especially coming out from a 24 or whatever. I mean, they're not so indie anymore because a 24 has grown so massively, but, um, are backed by them. But these smaller films with smaller budgets are like sweeping all the, these awards rather than, I guess what we grew up with in the nineties, where there was a bunch of, you know, a lot of risk-taking uh, films by all these huge studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now that's just not commonplace anymore. And I, yeah, it has something to do with streaming. It has something to do with the lack of DVD sales. And so you have to make all your money up front now. There's a lot of corporation or corporate bloat involved in dictation. But um, yeah, it's just frustrating, especially from a creative aspect. I know you and I both come from a creative um, place. And so it's just, you never want to see things get manipulated or compromised. Yep. Yeah.
1: Well, and the, the shitty thing too is that, you know, the streamers especially had. Incredible years, yeah, through uh, twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, because everybody was getting all of the stuff. Every everyone needed stuff to watch because we were pulled up inside. You know, everybody had all the subscribed to all the things, and we were was watching all the things, and you know, and and now like coming out of a, a historically you know awful couple years, yeah. Um, and where people were shut inside and like needed something to do you now it's like, they want to continue to like make more money off of these. And it's like, that's not realistic. You know, like mm-hmm. we're not, there's never, hopefully is never going to be a couple years like that, at least for a while, you know? And, but that's again, capitalism. It's like, what are we going to do to make more money? We got to make more money. Uh, and that's the bottom. That's the bottom line. That's the that's all that seems to matter a lot of the time. So,
0: how would you solve it, Brett? Well,
1: the capitalism thing. Yeah, I, so I don't know Name you uh, king. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I, I don't. You you know,
1: huh. I, I don't know enough about uh, money and I. But I think a, a part of me, I hmm. part of me, not to get too much into economics or whatever, but. I feel like day, it's at the end of the day it's
0: two people who know nothing about what we're talking <laughs> right. about talking. Yeah.
1: <laughs> i just I just feel like it's we've gradually gotten to this place in our at least American society where mm. um there there's no there's no uh, I don't know I think the a, a lot of morality is being lost mm. uh, or at least overlooked. Because somewhere along the way, it became about, well, how do I make more money as an individual person? And how do I, because that leads to taking care of my family. And I can understand that, right? Or taking care of myself. And I can understand that sentiment. But at the same time, when we're losing at, at what cost, I understand you want to make more money, but at what cost? What do, Then Then what are we, by doing these things that, that are not morally right, mm. what are we passing on to our next generations? Yeah, sure, we're giving them money that we have saved up in our bank accounts because we're living in this capitalism, you know, capitalism is king society. But what morals and what values are we showing the next generation? What are we... Mm. Normalizing in terms of our values and our morals for our next generation, what are we telling them? Because I would argue that those are 10 times more important than any amount of money that we can pass on to them when we can die. When we die, that's just my two cents,
0: dude. Powerful, it was great, man. Let's let's uh let's end with that. That was a <laughs> great, that was great, <laughs> a, that was a great uh hook, line, and sinker at the end there. I loved it. Well, dude, um. Everybody, please, please follow Brett Moline online. If you want to yeah. give yourself a shout out, like how can people get in contact and reach you, buddy?
1: Hey, follow us uh, on YouTube. Genuine Jerks, just how it sounds. Genuine Jerks. Uh, we got Always got videos coming out uh, pretty much every week. And Hilarious,
0: then, honestly, guys.
1: Uh, thanks, man. And then uh, on Instagram, I'm at Breezy, B-R-E-E-Z-Y, Double underscore f double underscore baby, breezy f baby, uh, follow me. I post stuff on there too, and um, yeah, this has been a blast, Mark. Always good to see you, man.
0: Yeah, dude, great to see you. I, I got one last question actually for you. It just came oh, up. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so where do you see yourself in the next uh, three to five years, man? Oh, man, you know it's tough. <laughs> it's it, honestly, question. tough question.
1: It is. It is tough for me to say, man. Cause it's so. I mean, for example, right? I'll just be very honest. Yeah, I got please, to write man. on. I got to write. I was very grateful. I got to write on a a, a Marvel TV show.
0: Yeah, we never even touched on that. It was amazing. Amazing oh, yeah, experience, I mean, from what I heard from you. Yeah. So, Brett, go ahead and tell everybody what you what you did. What was okay. the shot?
1: So I wrote on. I can't say which show it but I wrote oh, okay. on a Marvel TV show uh, and. I uh, was a staff writer for the show for, uh, for 14 weeks. It was incredible, you know, kind of my break into the industry. And then um, almost simultaneously, um, my I created this, sh- uh, wrote and directed and started in this short film that um, got some eyes on it and got in a bidding war between 20th uh, Television, and which was formerly 20th Century Fox, and uh, Sony TV, and then developed with Sony pitched it around and we're still going to take it to some more spots now without Sony. And so going into this year, you know, I was like so excited. People were telling me all this stuff that was going to happen, yada, 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 you know, but you know that, but then like all this stuff has happened and now yeah. kind of everything's up in the air and people were like, Oh, what's, you know, no one knows, you know, kind of what the, you know, with the economy, with everything. So there's no, there's no telling, uh, there's no real prediction, I guess, for me for three to five years. It'd be dope. I mean, my dream in yeah. five years, uh, you know, I would love to be at a place where I have a television show and I'm able to be um, in a producing position where I can help um, my friends or, or other people that I come across their work and help them to get it made. And, and um, you know, I would love to be able to do that um and uh you know to to vet whatever you know just as a producer someone that's so much of Hollywood is like oh he, they've done this before yeah we we can buy this from uh, buy another thing from them so I'd love to be that person for uh my friends who are incredibly talented and and whoever else you know yeah but yeah that'd be the dream do I know where I'm gonna be exactly <laughs> you know it's tough to say you know yeah. like, I don't it's it's You know, it's just kind of everyone's hanging on it by the seat of their pants right now. And just, just, you know, I know I'm just creating what I can, developing what I can and and just going to see where things go here in the next few months. Yeah.
0: Riding the wave. Riding the the wave. I love it. Still riding that wave, man. (laughs) Well, dude, love you, buddy. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Be with me on this one. Um, I hope everybody had a blast on this one. Brett's a great guy. Check him out.